Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcastone.com or iTunes, and as always, totally free. Thank you for downloading and streaming wherever you do it and however you do it. It is greatly appreciated. Another great interview coming to you this week, which, like all the interviews on this podcast, are courtesy of my SiriusXM show, which is heard daily on channel 106. The channel is volume. The show is Trunk Nation, and it's live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and all the interviews on demand and full shows on demand as well on the SiriusXM app. So if you live in the U.S. or Canada and you do not get SiriusXM, well, hopefully you come on board with us soon and you become a subscriber. It's great talking rock every day with everybody and taking calls and doing these interviews live. And for everybody else, uh, you get a little taste of what I'm doing on a daily basis here once a week with the podcast. So a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of big stuff coming up. As usual, all my appearances are on the homepage of my website, which is eddytrunk.com. And uh, some of those appearances include Cruise to the Edge, which is coming up soon, which is the Progressive Rock Cruise. I'll be broadcasting the volume show from that cruise every day covering Progressive Rock music. Other stuff going on that you should know about, well, at the time you're hearing this, if you're listening on post day, I'm in Anaheim, California, and I'll be hosting Ronnie Montrose Remembered, which is tomorrow night at the M3 Live venue there in Anaheim. So that'll uh, that'll be happening tomorrow night if you're listening on post day as I wrap up about 10 days in Southern California. And then from there, you've got Saxon at the IDL Ballroom, and that is in Tulsa, February 13th, look forward to hosting that. Then the Monsters of Rock Cruise coming up, which I host and also broadcast from. Also just added Tesla and Kicks, March 3rd, Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida. I'll be there to host that. And uh, also Whitesnake on April 25th, Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood. Judas Priest there on May 3rd. Full listing of all the events and everything that I'm hosting as it gets confirmed, again, on the homepage of my website. So be sure to check that out. Uh, At the time I'm doing this, I'm in Southern California. I was uh, in L.A. for my monthly broadcast from the Rainbow this past Past week, it featured Tom Morello, who came by to talk about the Chris Cornell tribute show, which I made a little bit of that show. I made the second half of that show, saw a ton of people, talked to all the guys in Metallica, saw Taylor from the Foo Fighters, saw Mike Inez, just a ton of people that I ran into at that great event. But I didn't get to see much of the show because I did get there kind of late because of my flight coming in late. But uh, that was... um you know, great event. And then Thursday of last week, exactly a week ago, I did my L.A. show 
from the Rainbow, the monthly broadcast I do from the patio there, and had Morello on. Also, the new band Deadland Ritual, which is made up of Matt Sorum and Frankie Perez and Geezer Butler and Steve Stevens. All of them came on as well, and it was great to, to meet them. I'm excited about that band because those guys were saying they're going to fill out, outside of their original material, they're going to be doing a bunch of Sabbath songs and that band playing Sabbath, all eras of Sabbath, is going to be really, really cool. So looking forward to seeing if this band sticks and what happens with them going forward. It's an encouraging start, judging by the one song that we have from them. Now, next week on the podcast, I'll bring you that interview with Steve Stevens, Frankie Perez, Geezer Butler, and Matt Sorum, which basically sort of more or less introduced the band to everybody. It was really the first interview they did together about this brand new band. So I'll do that next week on the podcast. This week will be the first hour of the L.A. show from the Rainbow with a live audience. And that first hour, as I mentioned, featured Tom Morello. And I wanted to get this on ASAP because it's timely because Tom is talking about Chris Cornell. Tom had a huge role, needless to say, in the uh, in the Cornell tribute show at the Forum last week. Obviously, he had a band with Chris with Audio Slave. They did some of that. Tom came out and jammed with Soundgarden. Uh, he was very involved and uh, attached to that show in a lot of ways. And we talk about it in detail, his remembrances of Chris and what went on at the forum for that uh, that tribute show. So I wanted to get that on as quickly as possible, which was the first hour, and that'll take up almost an hour of uh, this podcast for the interview. And then next week, I'll give you the second hour of the LA Invasion show, which, as I said, featured Deadland Ritual. Geezer Butler is on the – you'll hear him – for a segment here with Tom Morello. So he came on with Tom in hour one to talk about the Cornell tribute because he played bass with Audio Slave. Tim Comerford, for whatever reason, did not play bass and didn't, was a no show for Audio Slave. So Geezer played some of it and I think Robert Trujillo played some of it and, um, they had, you know, Geezer became a part of this through uh through necessity and through the interest in helping to to contribute to the Cornell event. So you'll hear Geezer come by for a little bit while Tom is there and then next week when I bring you the Deadland Ritual portion hour 2 of this you will hear uh, more from Geezer than of course when his other three bandmates join the conversation. Geezer is a man of few words, but he wanted to be a part of this and he came into the Morello segment as well as you're about to hear. So that's what we have for you this week. Again, follow on social media, Twitter, where I am most active at Eddie Trunk, Instagram at Eddie Trunk, fan page on Facebook at Eddie Trunk. And as I said, eddietrunk.com is the official Online home music news updated daily by Dana about all the things you care about. There's a merch store there, my blog, the trunk report, my appearances on the homepage, a lot of stuff for you to do on the site. Have a look when you get a chance. All right, so let's uh, take a break. We'll come back and we'll get into our conversation with Tom Morello talking about Chris Cornell and the big tribute that happened at the forum last week on this week's edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Sixty seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local TrueCar certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out. And uh, you guys can look at over together. You can ask questions. You get the answers you need. So there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trading your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Move over, YouTube. 
The Collider Network is now on Podcast One. Get your fix for any of your pop culture needs with shows like Collider Factory, Heroes, Movie Talk, Jedi Council, One on One with Christian Harloff, and Movie Trivia Schmodown. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One today. And remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get to the interview right now. We take you live to the Rainbow in Los Angeles. And this was hour one of my two-hour monthly broadcast I do there as part of my Sirius XM volume show. As I mentioned before, hour one was mostly myself. Tom Morello, Geezer Butler drops in talking about the Chris Cornell tribute show, which had happened the previous night. Uh, at the forum and I got to catch a little bit of it but Tom obviously was very involved in it and gave us some uh, great insights here talking about Chris Cornell his legacy and this uh, the tribute show that went on so here we go with a live audience from a week ago Wednesday a uh, week ago Thursday rather from the rainbow in LA we call it the Trunk Nation LA Invasion it aired live on Sirius XM volume and we give you an hour of it right now for the Eddie Trunk podcast Tom Morello is here, ladies Hello. and gentlemen. Hello. I just happen to be at the Rainbow anyway. So that's <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing Tom and I wouldn't be doing if there that's weren't right. microphones right. here. Yeah. And uh, probably a little later we'd yes, be getting some, started. Some nights there's a show, some nights we're just here. So right, right. right. Usually a little later than 6 o'clock Pacific. But um, Tom is here, and, and one of the things I want to talk about with Tom, among a, a few things, though, is really what went on last night at the Forum. In uh, here in Los Angeles, you guys. Some of you guys were there. It sounds like looks like it. Yeah, and I I flew in and landed and touched down at the airport. Grabbed my car, got over there. I didn't roll in till about ten fifteen, and I was like, man, I'm going to miss it because I guess there's an eleven o'clock curfew, and that thing was still rolling at like twelve thirty. <laughs> yeah. So I caught a good amount of it, and uh, and thank you for for getting me in, Tom. And and I walked in, and I'll tell you, I walked in that backstage hallway. It looked like a scene out of Almost Famous. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's there's Brad Pitt, there's the Foo <laughs> Fighters, there's Metallica, there's Tom Morello. There's, it was an unbelievable gathering of love and support for Chris yeah. Cornell. Yeah, it was an it was an epic and historic night. I think in the history of rock and roll, really, yeah. like uh, uh, paying homage to one of the greatest singers of all time, Chris, and he really got his due last night. I thought that it was, uh, you know, for his fans, it was a tremendous for his fans, not just in the room but around the world. Like I. Um, uh, I was on a little solo tour, you know, in the last couple months, and in every city, people were just talking about this show and how much it meant to them that it was even happening. Uh, ran into people, you know, from Finland and from Scotland and from all over the U.S. who were in the room last night. Uh, so it was a great night for Chris's fans, but it was also really like a great night to celebrate rock and roll. You know, yeah. like five, it was five hours of you know Metallica, Foo Fighters, the dudes from Rage Against the Machine. It was Audio Slave, Temple of the Dog, Soundgarden playing Chris Cornell music and some of their own music. That's really some of the most timeless, great. Kick-ass jams, and so I was. We were, it was an honor to be for me. It was a in an, an emotionally complex evening, but I was very, very happy to be a part of it and to celebrate Chris and his music. Yeah, I'll tell you that's an interesting point too. And a couple of people have asked me about that because it was really throughout the course of the night, even in the time that I was there, it seemed like there were a lot of, needless to say, a lot of emotions because. It was a great celebration for rock. It yeah. was a great celebration for Chris's music. I saw Stone Gossard when he was on stage saying, you know, we want to celebrate Chris tonight and all that. But then there were times where you also realize the almost the finality of the loss. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, that, that we lost Chris a little while ago, but it really wasn't – there really wasn't a thing like that that yeah. kind of put some sort of stamp on it and – I remember in your room, as a matter of fact, last night where you had your friends and family and stuff, the video that was playing, there was that clip that came on of, yeah, for of Chris. I am Chris playing an acoustic version of I Am the Highway with kind of like a memorial memoriam package of videos from his entire career with both family and all of his bands and it was it's brutal you know like it's a it's a hor it's a horrible and wrenching loss that's not going to get any better uh you know for, emotionally for his friends and bandmates and, and fans but but that's something we can't change what we were able to do was all stand together in a room last night to really celebrate his memory and his music how was it – talk about for you specifically what you did because there were so many musicians yeah. that got involved in this. But how, when when did you first hear about this and yeah. your your role beyond – obviously you played uh, – 
audio slave stuff, but, yeah. but talk about everything that it, it encompassed for you. Last sure, night. sure, sure. Well, when I when I heard about it, they, you know, they approached us and they said we're looking to have. Soundgarden, Temple of the Dog, Audio Slave, Metallica, Foo Fighters, and special guests. I'm like, that's not special enough. Like, that's crazy. Like, what an insane bill that is. Like, yeah. like I want to just go to it. Do I have to play? Right. Um, and then, and then we had to figure out what we were going to do. And um, you know, it's 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 one of the most challenging memorial shows in history because you have people have to sing Chris Cornell songs, which are exactly you know, which are. You know, he has an incredible range and sort of nuance to his voice, which is very, very difficult. So when we put the audio slave set together, we played uh, Cochise with Geezer Butler on bass and um, with Perry Farrell singing. And it was really important. You know, first of all, Geezer is just awesome. And the, he'll be the, here the, shortly. The, the greatest. Minute. And, yeah. you know, to have Geezer, you know, who I, you know, from the first time I picked up a guitar, and first time I listened to records, like it was the riffs that he was playing and the lyrics that he was writing that were so. You know, very impactful to me, and I learned those the riffs to all that Sabbath stuff. And to be standing on stage with Geezer playing my riffs was so like an out of body experience that you know was really unreal. Uh, and then Perry, who's been you know uh, 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 from day one with both Soundgarden and with Rage Against the Machine to have something that was really important. Then um, let me play the song "Be Yourself." Uh, with Juliette Lewis, and she did a great job with that. Then we did uh, with uh, Sam from X Ambassadors and Tim from Rise Against, uh, and Chris, the bass player of Jane's Addiction. We did uh, Set It Off, which is an audio slave hot jam from the first record. Um, and then uh, uh, we played Like a Stone with the whole crowd, with Brandy Carlisle singing, the whole crowd singing with all the lights on, which is really an emotional moment. And then we closed the show with a with was uh, like yeah. the building came apart. Yeah, I'm so came, pissed I missed this because when you told me you were playing, apart. this was the song I said you gotta do. I mean, holy shit, dude! Did the building come apart when Dave Grohl and Robert Trujillo played "Show Me How to Live"? Yeah. And I just was on stage going like, I can't even believe this is happening. And it was like it was one of my favorite moments ever on stage, and it really felt like we had thought about closing the set with "Like a Stone," which is really emotional. It's like it's, first of all, it's the biggest hit and it's a song that like, everybody knows. And when you sing that, it feels like a prayer. Like it's this beautiful melodic prayer in a way to kind of to to really spiritually be have togetherness in the room over Chris's memory. But I said, let's close with the fat fucking jam. Show me how to live. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's I think that was the right call at the end of the day. <laughs> how did uh, how did Dave uh, do the vocal on that? Did he kill it? Incredibly, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He's a national treasure. Yeah. Like I was just like I was just went home like thank goodness for that guy. He I. I Called him up and I, you know, I sent a bunch of list of songs. And said, "What do you want to, what do you want to play?" And, and it took a while to sort. And, and he, he said, "I think I can scream my way through. Show me how to live." And I'm said, "Right on, bro. Right on." But you know, you you bring up a great point because that that is no that it it's not it can't be understated when you're you're doing a tribute to a guy like Chris Cornell who can sing like that. There are very few people who want to tackle that, even yeah, in a yeah. tribute situation, sure. because you kind of have to put your own spin on it. Because there's very few people that can yeah. do justice Absolutely. in the way it was originally That's recorded. Right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. there would I would imagine across that five hour show there were challenges finding people. I'm sure a lot of people wanted to contribute, yeah. but then when they said, "Well, do you want to sing?" Kind of like, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know so yeah. much about not, that. Not birth ritual or whatever, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a, which is like a seven octave song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, t uh, um, Taylor Hawkins was buzzing around the whole night. Yeah, he did a great job. He sang a couple of Soundgarden songs. He was well, drafted. Uh, there was somebody else who was originally going to sing those he songs. He said Mike Patton. Mike Patton, yeah, and he, yeah. he dropped out uh, towards towards the end. And so Taylor, you know, the, he, he played a uh, Soundgarden song, The Day I Tried to Live, which he calls The Day, the day I, I Tried to, to Sing. sing. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, you know, he did spectacularly well. You he know, did. he did great. He, did he great. did. But he was buzzing around like, you know, if you know Taylor, he's a ball of energy constantly. And he, he was buzzing around backstage and he was just like, and he was in his uh, shorts and his shirt. He goes, look, I'm wearing my grunge outfit. And he was like completely into it. And he goes, he goes to me, he goes, yeah, man. He goes, uh, you know, Mike Patton is sick. He, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't be here to sing. He goes, that son of a bitch, it fell on me now. I got to do this. <laughs> and that's what he said. I go, what are you going to sing? And he goes, well, the day I tried to live, which I am retitling the day I tried to sing. <laughs> which he did a great job. He did do a great job. And uh, 
And then you came out and played with Soundgarden. Yeah, I play. I mean, my let me tell you, my introduction to Soundgarden was in my pre Rage Against the Machine band lockup when you were, we were touring in the van. And the van touring rules are the driver gets to pick the music, right? So, so it was my turn to drive. And my two cassettes back then were uh, Danzig and Soundgarden. I had Ultra Mega, uh, Okay, and and the Loud Louder Than Love record. And those were my all night driving jams. And the song Loud Love. He, this is this is this is my t- take on one of the reasons why Chris Cornell is so important. First of all, he's devastatingly handsome and and a tremendous singer and a great songwriter. But he redeemed metal. Chris Cornell, I think, along with Jane's Addiction. But it was Chris Cornell's music which unapologetically embraced huge badass Sabbath Led Zeppelin riffs, but it com- but combined them with a punk rock attitude and intelligent and nuanced poetry. And that for people like me that loved metal, but you know, m- most of my favorite metal songs were either about the devil or groupies, neither of which were a big part of my life growing up. But Chris's poetry really spoke to me, and he didn't compromise one ounce on the kick-ass riffs. And the epitome of that was a song Loud Love, which I played with them yeah. last night. And it was just unbelievable to stand on stage with the you know surviving members of Soundgarden and play you know a song that I used to crank in the van in 1988 and to be there you know celebrating Chris's memory so that was a, a nice send off yeah I didn't I I met Chris a couple times but I certainly wouldn't say I knew him but what you just said about him and the impact he made on music and that sort of bridge he created uh, did did he acknowledge that did you ever talk to him about that well he was a huge influence on Rage Against the Machine it was the the two cassettes that were formative when we made the first Rage record were Bad Motor Finger and the first Cypress Hill record. And if you listen to the first Rage record in that context, it's exactly those two records put together. Mm. Um, and it was just that kind of unapologetic embracing of metal. Like, it's got guys from the punk world that kind of went, you know what, that mu- music kicks ass if we take out the silly elements. And I don't know if this is on Hair Nation. I apologize. No, no, and no. I love on, a lot of those jams, too. You know, we're on I, volume. We'll be getting our... I uh, paid money for docking tickets, too, just like yeah, everybody no, no. else. But. Tom, that's the thing about Tom. We, we love it all. We go in there and we start working that playlist later on tonight yeah, yeah, at the yeah, Rainbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll go through Love, Hate, and Docking sure. right through the Struts I, and Rival love, Sons. Love, so it's all good. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it, did, it did show a different way. Like, you didn't right. have to be in this one lane of acting... You know, in a, in a sort of a cliched rock star way, you could be like real and be punk and yet still have the Sabbath and Zeppelin riffs and kick ass. Yeah. And, and any other highlights for you in the night? I mean, I know for you, you were getting pulled in a million directions. Yeah. You had people I there. Kinda, honestly, for me, it was, it was a really emotionally complex night. And it was, I hid a lot in the, I watched a lot of it on the TV because I didn't want to be in the room. It was really, every time I was in the room, I was going to cry. Like, it's really sad. Like, I, you know, Chris's death was, is tough. And this, I had kind of, perhaps unhealthily <laughs> kind of put it in a drawer and the drawer for this show came all the way open you know we were rehearsing those audio slave songs some of which we hadn't played for 12 years and then some of which you know the last time we played with chris was in january of 2017 we played the anti-inaugural ball on the night of the inauguration and we did three audio slave songs show me how to live like a stone um and cochise and so with the, for that show we had one day of rehearsal with chris then a couple days later, we played the show. So for this memorial show, we had like a day of rehearsal with those singers, with those same songs, and then played the show. So it was this odd sort of mirror image of, you know, of just him missing. And so I, I, fortunately, there were a lot of distractions backstage and people coming and going, and my mom was there. And, and so I tried to not get too emotionally into it. But then I did watch Temple of Dog, and I, I shed a lot of tears on the side of the stage when they, uh, when they played some of those big jams. And you mentioned that for the Audio Slave set, that Geezer played with you some of yeah. it. Um, Brad was there, Brad Wilk, but Tim was not there. Was that correct? That's correct. And did he choose just, did he have a conflict? He or? chose not to play. He chose not to play. Any elaboration on that? I didn't speak with, with him about it. I was just like, you got to win with the team that's on the field. And we got Geezer Butler. It's going to be all right. Well, yeah, you got Geezer <laughs> Butler. It's okay. So he just opted out of it, basically. He chose not to be a part of that's it. That's correct. Uh, interesting. Okay. So, and for you, Playing Audio Slave again, revisiting that music. Yeah. You mentioned you'd done that for that uh, yeah, yeah, one right. show, yeah. but 
those are, those are some jams. I mean, dude. you those know how much jams. I love that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It, it had to feel good. It, it felt a, a, a bad, you know, you wish you didn't have to for that reason. Right. But for right. you to revisit that music in that way yeah. and play that stuff yeah, again. It's bittersweet, though. It's bittersweet because, like, those songs, you know, listening to those songs and learning them from the record again. I remember making the record. And, you know, the last time I saw Chris was was the that night in, in January. And the last thing he said to me was, that was such a great time. We should do this again real soon, you know, and thought that there'd be more audio slave coming and, and then this was it and it's uh wow so there was a chance you felt pretty strongly that at the after coming off of that that he could have maybe had another run with audio slave we, we, for sure we were all we're, the, we're really? all down to to doing we had such a great time it was really great to reconnect and, and to play so when did you how did you first meet chris cornell well i met first well i had just kind of seen him around you know like we had crossed paths on Lollapalooza. but when when the first real serious meeting was uh when rage broke up in 2000 uh tim and brad and i knew we wanted to play together and we were spending a lot we knew we wanted rick rubin to make whatever our next record was so spent a lot of time over at, at his house and listening to cds and the one that we kept returning to was uh bad motor finger and just we're like man that i mean that guy's it's just his voice was incredible like the songwriting was incredible and it was also like kind of scary like there's something about it like something not entirely right that was very appealing so rick and i drove um at the time chris was living in ojai which is about an hour and a half north of here and so rick and i drove up there now rick rubin rick doesn't drive anywhere for anything okay he didn't go he's not going anywhere for anything so so and, and when he does it's like in a rolls royce inside another rolls royce you know so so he's driving up there in my chevy astro van you know to ojai <laughs> and he was like at a convenience store like for the first time in 40 years i'm like yeah they have m&ms due to this so it was for him it was like he was out Outside the bubble, right? Which meant he was serious about. It. So we drive up to Ojai, and and the skies are darkening. And Chris, of course, lives on the last loneliest mountain up the up the wooded path, and it's you know it's dusk is falling, and we pull into this kind of Spanish style castle at the very top. It's like you're going to Harry Harry Potter, or it's, something. yeah, it's, and or or Transylvania, right. and, then we, and we we pull in, and there's there's some motorcycles in the driveway, and this kind of long winding stairway that goes up to this gilded door, and then I, you know, we pull in, we're kind of looking at each other, and I swear to you, straight out of the Adams family, that door opens like with nobody opening the door, you know, like the two <laughs> doors open, and out, you know, Chris was six six two something, his lanky frame, he comes out and he starts, you know, sort of taking these long steps you know down the stairway rick rubin turns turns to me and goes let's get the fuck out of here <laughs> he's like nope <laughs> did rick know him no we were scared to death like it was, it was dracool was coming down the right. stairs man but rick our had, souls were at stake rick had no real history with him no 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 we, we knew him but anyway fortunately we got over our our childish terror and uh and we had like a dry ice on the stairs <laughs> it, it was it was totally terrifying <laughs> but i mean chris had a presence that was you know part of it was like he'd be sitting here and having, having a good laugh but there was a side there was a side that was that enabled him to tap in to those lyrics that were so compelling yeah. in a way and i you know and I, I said it last night from the stage and i'll say it again that 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 you know, celebrating Chris was a you know a great father and a great bro and a great philanthropist, but he had a very very he wrestled with demons his whole life. But he but he he took those demons by the collar and he rode them like a motherfucking chariot of lightning strapped with Marshall stacks to make some of the greatest rock and roll. He harnessed it in a way that for fifty two years. It's what he tapped into that is a crucial part of what made him great. And so that's, that's one of the things we were honoring last night, too. It's not like, you know, it's not like oh, if only he had just been a cheery dude the whole time. You wouldn't have had the, the, the tremendous music that he made. So you get past the whole, the whole dry ice in your in this crypt of seeing yeah, 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 him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had a great conversation. And then you have a great conversation. Great conversation. Right? We, you know, to, and just decided to jam. And so we came down, and it was, uh, and you know, Chris had he'd made the Euphoria Morning record, but he hadn't sort of been touring or anything for a while. And he was very. What he wanted to do was, he's like, I just want to sing. I want to write lyrics. I don't want to sing. He had been a you know the principal like sort of musical songwriter in, in Soundgarden. Right. And he was like, I want to sort of. Be free of that, and we're like, well, great, because we've got a lot of ideas. And, and so, he didn't want to play guitar. He didn't want to play guitar. He wanted to sing. He was just like, show me some music. And the way that, and, and for us, it was it was great because you, know, you know, like all in, in the four Rage Against the Machine records, there are exactly zero chord changes. Like it's the James Brown formula. It just keeps coming back to the one. It's relentless. The riffs and the grooves. And so, with 
Chris's melodic vocals, it was a wonderful challenge for us to musicians, as musicians to, to make a musical backdrop that would allow him to shine. So it pushed us tr- tremendously as artists to create you know, songs like Like a Stone and songs like I Am the Highway and you know, some of the other stuff that were well outside of what we had done before. Um, and it was a, one of the most fertile musical periods of my musical life was when we made the debut Audio Slave record. But that's interesting. So the way you made those records with Chris and what he wanted to do is yeah. he wanted to just be the singer and lyricist. Yeah. He didn't want to play guitar and he wasn't involved in the, in the writing want, of the music. He didn't want to do it. Sometimes we'd be like, we'd put, we'd, no, I'd put a guitar in his hand and like, give me a spoon, man, dude. Right. <laughs> he'd be like, he's like, no, I'm cool. Uh, he did write some of the, like, for example, the bridge of Like a Stone is his. And to this day, like last night on stage, I always have to, because it's very, the way that he, he had a sort of a deep, chordal and Beatlesy backdrop, which is very different from my world. And so some of his writing was very counterintuitive to like how my fingers go. So every single Audio Slave show, including last night, I have to have a cheat sheet of the chords of the bridge of Like a Stone on my amp because I can never remember it. Wow, wow. It was, uh, yeah, it was special to, I mean, I'm bummed that I got there too late to unfortunately hear that set, but... um, Everyone was raving about it, and everyone was talking about Dave Grohl singing "Show Me How to Live" and and uh, and you guys firing that stuff up again. It was really a special night. Do you know? I'm not sure. Was it filmed or recorded? I don't know anything about that. I, I mean, I would hope somebody yeah. did. I know they certainly filmed it for the screens, but I don't know that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, beyond that. And there was a charitable component to last. Yeah, night all too, of it. Right? He was 100. It's the the there's the Chris Cornell, Chris and Vicky Cornell Foundation, and then there was another another. A, a charity which I can't remember the name of, but they raised from all of the uh, ancillary events. It was over a million dollars was raised for charity last night. Yeah, it was uh, it was really a hell of a night. It really was. If you guys were there, and and uh, it was a night that I, I think a lot of people didn't want to end. Especially Lars Ulrich, who I st- still think is there <laughs> back in the hallway. And Metallica came out by the way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They yeah. they played. Um, they played a couple. They played a couple of deep, jacks, right? super deep, super deep Soundgarden cuts, and then they played Master of Puppets and For Whom the Bell Tolls. I love it. Like Metallica, like it's the Chris Cornell benefit show. Here's Master of Puppets. <laughs> Why? Because it kicks ass, and you want to hear it. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was so awesome. I think the first song they played was, might have been, I think they did Soundgarden's song they did For Whom the Bell Tolls. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I walked in and I was like, so what? What? What did Metallica play? They said a Master of Puppets for them. But wait, wait, what just happened? You can't blame them. No, can't blame them. If you got that in your back pocket, why not? We almost played Master of Puppets. We wanted to hear it so bad that. Well, I think they did. I think Foo Fighters played Everlong, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, So there were bands that did play some of their own material. It was a music. It was it was a great celebration of rock and roll, man. Like uh, I haven't been in a room like that in a while, where you know it's that kind of. it, It felt like you know like. Like a Grammy performance or a Super Bowl performance, but one that didn't suck, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like it's or an MTV Music Awards perform or whatever, like where you just kind of go like, where's a rock and roll? It was like it's all rock and roll bands, and you're gonna get Master of Puppets and Dave Grohl's gonna sing an Audio Slave song, and it's, it was it was great. Yeah, and what I loved about it, along those lines of what you just said, you know, there nobody's singing the tracks. There's no auto tune. There's no nothing. Yeah, yeah. That was everybody bringing it yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. Whoever had to come up, you know, yeah. whatever combination of musicians, it was real, yeah. warts and all, and most everybody just delivered in in every way imaginable i mean it was really and, that's a, and there was a really diverse lineup too like when i l- saw some of the names i was well miley I was, cyrus I was, I was scratching was my there, head right? much. i was scra- i was scratching my head at some of the names and and i gotta tell you like like she was sounding pretty great on the and miguel i don't like miguel who's a like a like sort of i didn't, a, didn't know who he was he's in a he's in the world of sort of uh r&b pop and he sang reach down and holy shit dude like it was great it was really really great yeah. Um, and so it was like, in a way, that, that, that to me felt like that felt really good. Rather than going like, it's all going to be artists that were on Lollapalooza in 1992, right. you know, like uh, it felt like it had, there were artists who Chris's children were fans of, you know, which I think was one of the things that was important in the composition of it, mm-hmm. and artists who have known Chris for a very, very long time, and it was a really great night. And the other interesting thing about it, too, is that speaks to and shows the range and impact Chris Cornell's music had on people. The fact that you could have people, you could have 
uh, obvious guys like Metallica, Dave Grohl, what have you, and then you could also have Miley Cyrus yeah. and Brandy Carlisle yeah. and some of these people. Yeah. Brandy that- Carlisle was great. Like I, I was not. I had played a show with her, but I was not. Like my wife's a huge fan of Brandy Carlisle, and I was not deeply familiar with. But we, you know, I don't tell you perhaps my other, the Dave Grohl moment. I was saying my highlight of the entire night was we we rehearsed all the songs back because we didn't have that much rehearsal for these, and everybody's schedules were pretty chaotic. So we did like acoustic. Rehearsals in our dressing room. Dressing room's filled with people chattering. The show's on the TV loudly, and we're kind of in a corner rehearsing the songs with everybody. And we did Like a Stone with Brandy Carlisle. And if you're at the show, you know, know, at the end of it, you know, we sing the Like a Stone chorus, and then it drops down, and the crowd sings it like sort of prayer like. And then the house lights come on, and the whole crowd sings it super loud. Well, we did that in our dressing room, and everybody who was in the room who was doing all the chitter chattering, everybody stopped and sang. And it's it was so beautiful. Like it really felt like you know, like Chris was in the room for that one. Yeah. It was pretty great. We gotta get to a break and we'll spend some more time with Tom here in this first hour. Uh, a little more on this show. I wanna talk about Taylor Momsen and what she did in that too. Yep. Because Taylor has a history with uh Taylor and the Pretty Reckless were the last band to play. They opened for Soundgarden. Taylor is here. I, I was texting with her earlier. She's not here in the building. We we're trying to get her to come down, but she it didn't work out for her. But we'll have her on soon. And uh, and she's a friend, and I was really glad she got to be a part of that because she was a, she was an enormous and is an enormous Chris Cornell fan. And the Pretty Reckless opened the last ever Soundgarden show the night that uh, we lost Chris. And th- there's a backstory there that's uh, pretty amazing. So it was great she was, be- she was a part of it. We'll talk a little bit more about what went on at the forum last night for the Chris Cornell tribute. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you like my show, you're going to love all the shows on the Collider Network on Podcast One. The YouTube channel turned Podcast Super Network has got everything for your pop culture needs. Check out Collider Sports, Jedi Council, one-on-one with Christiane Harloff, movie trivia, movie talk, and so much more. Check out the Collider Network every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uh, we are uh, we are good to go. We got a, we're up and running with a great show here. We're spending time with Tom Morello in this first hour, talking about what was a really a historic night for rock music last night at the Forum in uh, here in L.A. with uh, the Chris Cornell tribute. First time I've been to the Forum since it was remodeled. Obviously, an incredible venue with so much history. Such a cool place to have uh, had that happen. And uh, we're welcoming now a guy to the stage who was part of it and jammed. We talked about him a second ago and played with with Tom and Audio Slave. Uh, well, you, need, you need a pinch hitter on base. It doesn't suck when you got Geezer Butler, ladies and gentlemen, coming in on base. Yes. And he's going to join us right now for a yes. few minutes. Oh, there he is. Talk- <laughs> there he is. He's also, he's also an excellent bowler. He's an excellent bowler. Man. How are you? Excellent bass player and excellent bowler. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Geezer Butler. Geezer Butler. People. Come on, Geese. You, you're spry. We just saw you bowl. You were on our bowling team. You, you, uh, you helped us win. We, we won the DO Bowling Challenge right, yeah. and, and for charity. The only part that we left out of that equation, though, is we had one extra bowler than everybody else. That's how we won. <laughs> we had an extra person. Did we? <laughs> you didn't know. It was you. You were the late addition. You put us over the top. Well, I wasn't much good doing it. <laughs> you, you did well. That was the first time you bowled, right? That's right, yes. And I think you did quite well. You, Geezer, Tom, you remember Geese bowled remember like 100 and something, bowled, right? He, he did very well. Oh, and he got 11 strikes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In 10 frames. Geezer, talk a little bit about last night and, uh, and playing that show and, and, and playing with Audio Slave. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I love Tom anyway. And he'd invited me to uh, take part in it. And, of course, it was an honor to be part of it. Um, and it's great. Well, my favorite Audio Slave song is Cochise anyway. And I picked that one to play. Did you just do the one? Did you do one song? No, I did... Um, be Yourself as be well. Be Yourself. Okay. And uh, were, for, as far as Chris Cornell, did you know Chris at all? I mean, obviously, Chris was Met a big Sabbath Met him a couple Sabbath of times. Fan. I... In fact, I, I took him to um, 
So, so I took my son Biff to uh, Newcastle. We, I think we were playing up in Newcastle in England. And um, Biff, my son Biff was like massive uh, Soundgarden fan. And uh, we took, them, took him backstage to meet the, the band. And uh, he was great. Chris was great to him. Took photos with him and stuff like that, and the rest of Soundgarden. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's great. What did, what did you make of the entire night as far as uh, how much time did you get to spend there? Did you see a lot of people? What was uh, your takeaway from the whole evening as far as how uh, the, the feeling in that room? Well, it was great to see so, such a diverse uh, collection of musicians and uh, even actresses and actors. Um, it's amazing how, how much Chris Cornell meant to so many people in so, so, so different uh, uh, genres of music. And even for you to get involved, I mean, you're not, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not a guy that has jammed with a lot of other people, have you? Like, have you gotten up with a lot of people and plugged into something like an audio slave or something? That's not something you've done a lot in your career, has no, it? No, not really. I mean, I've got to, it's only like charity things that I've done. Right done stuff before with Tom how'd the rehearsal go Tom did you, put a, did, did you have to get a lot of work in with Geek <laughs> no, no we surprised him a little bit because we told him that you know like the gig was on Wednesday and then like I forget what day it was maybe like Sunday or something like that I was like and like at the last minute like and we're rehearsing Monday and he's like I thought I had three days to look the song. <laughs> I thought I was going to turn up at Soundcheck on Wednesday and just go through the song yeah, yeah. instead it was, it was we, we punished him with like two solid days of rehearsal to it but no, it was great. It was yeah, it's it's awesome just to be it's in. It's fun, great. It's fun. fun. We had a, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Well, you're well. I, I didn't know what was going on because uh, your your wife Geezer, who is also your manager, contacted me like a couple not far out from the event and yeah. said, "Hey, can you put us in touch with Tom about?" And I was just you know I didn't want to pry. It wasn't my business. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, and Tom and I, Tom and I had talked before about some other bass players that might be able to chip in and play. And uh, we even talked about Getty Lee, That's who right. was on my show, potentially right. coming. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I, so I wasn't sure, you know, I didn't know Tim wasn't playing. I wasn't sure what happened. And then the next thing you know, on Geezer's Twitter, there's a photo of all you guys, <laughs> like, a ba- you sent something out, like, Tom, tell, tell Tom there's a chicken above his head or something on, <laughs> <laughs> on the photo. And the next thing you know, there you go. You guys yeah, were yeah. Uh, you guys were rocking it out. It was so. great. It was, it was a hot start to the set with, with Perry Farrell and, and Geezer playing with Brad and I. It was a pretty hot start. Geez, did you get to take in much of the night? Did you see any other performances or see some um, people that you got to spend time talking from to? Back, from backstage, you do that, there's a monitor backstage and uh, watched a lot of it from there. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it was it was absolutely uh, a, a special night. Everybody that was there knows it. And uh, Tom, I'm sure for you, you can you can check that one off your list too. Yeah. Uh, bass player played yeah, with yeah, uh, yeah. Geezer Butler. Yeah. You know, we, there you we, go. We've had the good fortune to play together a couple times before, but oh, you but guys yeah. have played together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In what 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 with context? Ozzy and Friends. I think. Yeah, Ozzy yeah, and Ozzie Friends. Yeah, yeah. did that. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I got to play Geezer's riffs, and he got to play mine, which is so trippy. <laughs> Geezer as a guy who's... Uh, because as I told him last night, I'm glad that he's not litigious because most of my riffs are really just Sabbath riffs with one or two <laughs> notes changed around. So <laughs> Don't tell Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be sure not. I was going to say, Geez, would you like to do some sort of evaluation of Tom's riffs, whether they be Audio Slave or Rage Against the Machine? Great. He's okay. one of my favorite guitarists of all time anyway. There you go. Wow, that's uh, put that on the resume, Tom. Yeah, put that on my business card. You're on yeah. your way, man. It's just like if you ever get a business card from Billy Gibbons, it says "friend of Eric Clapton," so you can say <laughs> what Geezer just said about you. Well, I, t- I told I told Geezer the other day, like the first time that Sabbath entered my world was it was r- I was really young. We were doing like some presidential physical fitness thing in junior high and like the one bad boy in our class like the kid who had nunchucks and smoked and like had gotten laid you know uh as a preteen uh brought in a sabbath record to to like the gym and i just remember looking at the album cover and i was just terrified that something like that existed in the world and then he put it out like i forget whatever the music we're listening to maybe sweet or something in the you know um uh, it, it, and, and all of a sudden it was like the Sabbath record came on and I just thought I need to know more about this and perhaps devote my life to it <laughs> <laughs> you and a million other people yeah, that yeah, play yeah. music thanks to this you know what this guy uh, had a hand in creating 
and I think this just hit me speaking to Chris Cornell. Didn't I think Sound Soundgarden covered a couple Sabbath songs, didn't they? I don't know. Uh, do you, do you know that geezer? I'm not sure which one. I'm, I'm going to Google it during there, the break. Does anybody that. know? I'm pretty sure Soundgarden. Pat Donahoe. If you're out there, he'll probably know. It my was, friends on it. They definitely covered a couple because I have some of them on B sides or what have you. And I got. I guess you never heard them, Geez. I got to look up which ones they are during the break. But obviously, the influence was enormous. Sabbath on. You know what Soundgarden did. And it's always a pleasure and an honor to play with Geezer because, of course, he's a great bass player, but he's just like a he's a really good dude and a very humble fellow. You know, like Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath could be anybody. You know, when you walk in a room and he's just the nicest guy who's, you know, who plays you did, great. You didn't oh, have a big rider and demand. He did not. He had very few demands. Rider, what's that? He had very few demands. No brown M and M's. None of that. None of that no. stuff on there. It's, it's it's a good it's a good reminder that you can you know you can make massive music and you know on a Huge scale for decades, and 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 sort of carry yourself with kindness and humility, and that's something that other rockers perhaps should take note. Yeah, absolutely right. All right, somebody in in our audience, um, uh, come on up here, and uh, I, she doesn't want to say now that the microphone is on, but but um, you wanted to mention something about you were at the show last night and about how strongly you felt about some of the women that performed. Yes. I mean, Taylor obviously was fantastic, as you saw. Hi. Um, I, my name's Nicole. Oh, okay, Nicole. Formerly from the Northeast, no longer. All right. So <laughs> Sorry. Nicole, make your point. <laughs> I will. Good point. Yeah. I just think, you know, in this day and age, it's very unusual to see very strong female front rock goddesses. Taylor was awesome last night. Yeah. Miley, I think, surprised the shit out of everybody last night. And I'm really curious to hear what you think about how the female guest performers did against the guys. I mean, everyone's expecting to see the guys, yeah. maybe not the women so much. And I'm curious what you Well, I mean, first are. of all, I think it was, it's a much greater challenge for the guys to sing the songs. Because Chris Cornell was very uniquely gifted with regards to his range in a way that... that uh, uh, woman singer maybe can hit those notes that right. Chris did, yeah. Right. Uh, but I thought that Taylor Momsen did a great job, and she's the one that sang "Loud Love" with me. I think she sang another song as well. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, throughout the night, the female vocalists were incredible. I mean, Brandy Carlisle sang a couple of, uh, "Like a Stone" with us, and she sang one of the big, I think "Hunger Strike" with Chris Stapleton, maybe something like that. And she just she has a beautiful and like nuanced voice, and uh, it was great. I mean, it was it was not like a dude heavy event, and it was it was sort of mixed age wise and ethnically wise. And it was just a great celebration of music and rock and roll and Chris Cornell. Yeah, there, there was um, there, there was that was and it was a great point Nicole made. There was there was great performances across the board, young, old, male, female, everybody that brought it. The interesting thing about Taylor Momsen and what she what her connection to this is, which makes this uh, which made last night unbelievably powerful for her. Is she? I know her. I've known her for many years. She's and she's based in New York, so I see her here and there, and, and we've talked. She was and is a like absolutely worship Chris Cornell. And the last Soundgarden tour that happened, she uh, the Pretty Reckless Taylor's band landed the opening slot. So this was the dream of dreams for her, and she was out on the road and. Tom, you can attest to this. Sometimes when a band is in the opening slot, they can go a, a, a number of shows without even meeting or seeing the band they're opening for. It's it just the way it is. You roll in, you roll out. It's, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I always try to connect with the opening bands. But, yes, sometimes you can go through, as an opening band, you can go an entire tour without meeting some of the people in the in the right. headlining it, band. Now, yeah. that's if the, the band, yeah, if the headlining band doesn't want anything to do with you. I mean, sometimes they'll walk in, they'll say hello, they'll introduce you, but introduce themselves and say hi. But there's times there's just separation or timing or when you show up versus when they play. So, so Taylor had gone um, five, six shows on that t uh, tour, The Pretty Reckless, without having met Chris Cornell, who was her hero, and she couldn't even believe she was opening. And uh, she had told me a story that the night that Chris died, she was standing by the backstage door and Chris walked out towards the door because he had a car waiting. Soundgarden was done playing. And much like you said when you saw him come down the stairs, it was almost like a trail of dry ice and he's wearing like a cloak or something. And it's like – and she's like, oh, my God, here, here he comes. And she didn't know what to do, if she should introduce herself and say thank you. And she just kind of froze up. And he walked over to her and said, hey, Taylor, welcome to the tour. We're, we're, I'm glad you're on board. 
and uh, can't wait to, you know, you're going to do great things in your career and so glad that you're, you're with us. Which made her, her world, as you could imagine, and gave her great excitement for the rest of the tour in the future. And that was the last time anybody had heard from or saw Chris Cornell. And that is just an unbelievably incredible story. But she had that moment. And I don't know how many people, people recall, but she was so devastated about Chris's passing that she actually, they had a bunch of headline dates that she just canceled. She couldn't, there were a lot of people very worried about her. She didn't know him personally that well, but that's the impact that he had on her. And at least she got that moment literally just before he, he died. Wow. So it's a, it's a pretty, so for her, and I texted her today for, to have seen her up there being able to do that and sing that last night. Um, I, was it Loud Love that she did? She did Loud Love and she did, what was the other song Taylor did? I forget what else. I have the yeah, sheet. Yeah. Drawing Flies? Yes, Drawing yes. Flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flies, yeah. And just did a, did a great, great job with it. So I was very happy for her because I knew how much that meant to her. Hey, before uh, we wrap up this sort of part of the conversation, we've talked a lot about Chris's voice, obviously, and his writing. But in the, to- in the three records you made with him in Audio Slave, do you have any stories, any moments that you're in the studio watching him cut vocals or that you're just like, you know, sitting was, there like... Yeah, I mean, the, the part of Chris's unique brilliance, and this is one thing that Rick Rubin constantly pointed out to us and how fortunate we were, Tim Brad and I, to be in a band with him, was his, his the effortlessness with which he concocted great melody like you could give him a super complicated heavy riff or you could give him a two chord chord progression and he would just how he would uh, do the vocals was he would just sort of sing melodies to them without words and it's just like like the ability to make something that's really great and beautiful and can connect to people that's not he doesn't even think it wasn't a craft to him it wasn't like he sat down and went oh I need to go up a third here it just came out of him effortlessly um, and that's one of his greatest gifts as a songwriter and you hear it throughout his throughout his entire catalog from those first real hardcore punk rock Soundgarden records to his own more melodic stuff and on his acoustic tours what shines through at the end of the day is his talents not just as a singer but as a as a sort of a composer of melody and what about live in the live Live shows that you guys did. Yeah. I mean, he delivered night in and night out yeah. live. Yeah. Did he have bad nights ever? Or? No, I mean, here's the thing: like, he, he the, for all of the power of Chris's voice, he sang very softly. Like, even those notes that are the crazy high ones, it's not him, you know, like busting a gut saying it. Loud. It was you could be in a room with him, and it wasn't, and he would be singing with that incredible range and that incredible um, sort of uh, grainy power to it without. Uh, sort of this kind of loud projection. That was one of the things that was sort of very surprising. And what kind of what can you share with people about him? Maybe having been a guy that was in a band with him and toured with him and recorded with him, that maybe people wouldn't expect, like the like you know intangibles, things he was like, things he, things he yeah. was into. Maybe a funny story. Yeah. Anything? Well, I will say this: he was always first. Whenever you know, when I always coming at the band with some charity stuff or some activist stuff and we and he was always just down like he was like there was never kind of a discussion it's like if you know if this is something that you believe in i think that we should support it and i was like really you know i've been in a lot of band through from, from high school to today and often there's discussions and sort of trying to figure it out and chris was always just very very supportive of human rights issues and things like that which was really, really great which you wouldn't take for granted you know he didn't really have a political history you know in in, in Soundgarden mm-hmm. so that was one great thing um you know and and just as a really funny like we had a lot of laughs man we had a lot very intelligent guy like a great sense of humor uh and we had a lot of laughs on the road and and uh you know not a, not so like it a real great knowledge of of music and being able to just sort of sit for a long time talking about stuff and having about music and having a lot of laughs. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you one quick one before we have to wrap up in, in this hour. I, I had very little experience with him and dealt with him. I inter- interviewed him two or three times. I did a TV interview with him for, um, I was working for Madison Square Garden Network. He had played his own solo show at the Beacon Theater. He had played two nights. And uh, I went the first night and did the interview after his performance. And we shot it and it was it was great. And we had a nice conversation. And um he, he said to me, uh, what did you think of the show? And I remember being stunned because 
I, I had seen Soundgarden a couple times, but I, when you hear somebody sing like that on a record, your immediate inclination is kind of like, well, they can't, re- they can't do this live. Yeah, yeah. There's no way they're going to do this song in and song out live. Yeah. So I watched that guy sing at the Beacon Theater, his own show, so he's playing his whole catalog, yeah. and, and he just sang it all note perfect effortlessly. Well, thanks to Tom Morello for dropping by. Thanks also to Geezer Butler. Again, next week on the podcast, I will bring you hour number two of the show you just heard from The Rainbow, and it will feature an interview with Deadland Ritual, the new band that features Matt Sorum, Frankie Perez, Geezer Butler, and we get a phone call from Steve Stevens. That'll be on next week's podcast, so we'll put a, a bookend on the, the show that you're hearing. Again, listen to me live every day, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM channel 106 volume talking rock every day doing interviews taking your calls and that show replays every night 9 to 11 p.m eastern and on demand anytime you want on the sirius xm app here on the podcast you get a little taste of what i do live on a daily basis on volume and again follow on social media at eddie trunk twitter instagram facebook eddietrunk.com is the website you guys have a great week thanks to katie irizari the producer of the eddie trunk podcast i'll see you next thursday with hour number two from the rainbow with deadland ritual Gear up for the biggest game in the NFL season. Podcast One is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. As the big game draws closer... I, I, I don't disagree with you. This could be one of the ugliest games of football of all time. Check out the Underdog Network every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.